0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Secular Buddhism Podcast. This is episode number 124. I am your host, Noah Roshetta, and today I'm going to talk about dealing with people that you don't like. As always, keep in mind you don't need to use what you learn from Buddhism to be a Buddhist. You can use it to learn to be a better whatever you already are. So today's podcast episode comes from the request of uh, an email I received, someone asking me if I would be willing to do an episode where I discuss the idea or the concept or give tips on how do we deal with people that we don't like. And I thought that would be a good idea, especially during this time um, where, you know, the way social media works we're all dealing with people that we don't like. And perhaps if it's not people that we don't like, it's ideas that we don't like. Um, But it seems to be a prevalent thing. And I'm trying to shift a little bit of the concepts of the podcast towards a little bit more of a, how does all this apply in everyday day-to-day scenarios? So this is my, uh, um, my approach at this specific topic. Like how does... How do these concepts and ideas that we learn about in Buddhism apply to everyday scenarios like and, uh, dealing with people that we don't like? So I thought that would be a fun way to uh, start off this podcast episode. So first of all, though, I want to go into the Zen koan that I left in the last podcast episode. And this is uh, where a monk asked uh, Zhao to teach him. And Zhaozu asked, have you eaten your meal? The monk replied, "Yes, I have." Then go wash your bowl," said Zhaozu. At that moment, the monk was enlightened. Now, this koan to me um, does a really good job of presenting the simple and profound way that Zen Buddhism tries to simplify, you know, the the whole point of what we're practicing and what we're doing. Um, I want to share a couple of thoughts from people from the Patreon community who uh, where we had a discussion around this koan in the last week or week and a half. Uh, first, the first thought comes from Nancy, who says, quote, my understanding enlightenment only happens when we are fully aware in the present moment, no matter what we are doing, even washing a dish, close quote. Uh, I like that thought that Nancy shares where enlightenment happens in the present moment and no matter what we're doing, even washing a dish. I do think that uh, this definitely alludes to that where it doesn't matter what you're doing. You could be out walking the dog. You could be stuck at a traffic light. You could be in the middle of an argument with someone you dislike. And these are the the moments where uh, you could notice something that you hadn't noticed before. And that moment of awareness can have a, a, a component of, I guess you could call enlightenment. And that's what this koan is trying to point at. Uh, I like that thought. I, I like this additional thought from Michael, who says, quote, "...the bowl has served its purpose for the monk who used it for his lunch, but now the dirty bowl is of no use to the next hungry person that comes along. By washing the bowl after he has finished using it for his own purpose... He then gives someone else the opportunity to make use of the bowl to nourish themselves. The monk could contemplate that someone before him had washed the bowl which allowed him to use to enjoy its use. I like that Uh, Michael uh, kind of extrapolated out of this the nature of interdependence and how indeed if the bowl was there for me to use it, someone must have cleaned it before me and if I'm cleaning it now, this will allow another monk at some point to also enjoy use of the bowl. And I, I like that line of thinking. And remember with all of these, I know I mentioned this a lot, but these koans are meant to get us to look inward. So it's what you get out of the koan that really matters. It's, it's not about um, discovering the, the right answer. So it's fun to see what other people extract out of these koans that's one of the things that I enjoy by reading the various descriptions and thoughts and feedback that come in on these discussions on the Patreon community. So here's another one from David. He says, quote, this koan reminds me of something that ancient Greek philosophers such as Epictetus used to say to those who wanted to learn from them. Rather than reading many books and learning quotes, the students should practice making the good choices in their everyday lives. So when the monk asked Zhao about teaching him, he replied with the same kind of idea. Instead of reading more books or listening to Buddhist teachers or on about how to achieve enlightenment, go wash your bowl as you should and practice living mindfully. Now, of course, I, I really enjoy the thought around this interpretation of the koan because I highly agree with that. You know, you can... You can read and you can listen and you can devour the theory behind uh, living more mindfully or the the theory behind all of these topics and concepts and ideas that we encounter in Buddhism, but nothing will substitute for the experiential understanding that you will gain when you're just out doing whatever it is that you're doing. And I can't uh, overemphasize that whatever it is you're doing in the same way that, That Nancy said like you could be even washing a dish and that uh, definitely gets to the heart of what this koan is talking about and then one more thought this is from Brayden who says open quote for me this koan makes me think of the way I go about enlightenment personally I've delved wholeheartedly into enlightenment and forgotten about the world around me and the responsibilities I have outside the desire for enlightenment the pursuit of that desire has gotten in the way of my other responsibilities, and I've neglected tasks and people in my life. This koan is a reminder to me to follow through with the things outside my journey, and uh, and that can help in setting up an environment that promotes enlightenment as I focus my whole attention on studying and learning." Close quote. Uh, and I really agree with what Braden is uh, emphasizing here in his understanding of the koan that the koan is an invitation to remember to go back to washing the dishes rather than getting lost in the pursuit of enlightenment. And the irony in that, especially with this koan, is that the moment the um, monk hears this, he is enlightened. When <laughs> right? It says at that moment, the monk was enlightened when he realizes he just has to go wash his bowl. And to me, that's incredibly profound because just like Brayden is talking about, we can get caught up in this pursuit of becoming enlightened. And it's like, wow, I'm gonna go become enlightened. So I don't have time to wash the dishes. I've got to go sit in my on my meditation cushion and you know hit my one hour, two hour meditation goal for the day. And in the process of pursuing this conceptual idea we have of enlightenment, we're missing the whole point because it was in the washing of the dish that you could have found it. And that to me is right at the heart of of what zen is constantly trying to do is push us back to the the everyday nature of of this stuff so my thoughts on the koan this is an invitation to go back to the simple um, understanding of the experiential nature of uh, of life you know it's important to emphasize here that enlightenment is a concept it's an idea and we we gain this idea from books, from people, from teachers, from all kinds of places. But it, an idea gets planted in your head that, hey, there's this thing and it's called enlightenment. And then here's how you go obtain it. And then we get caught up in that. And what we're trying to get back to in a lot of ways with this practice is back to the present moment and in, and to live a life that's a little bit more skillful and less reactive And since you just finished eating, perhaps the most skillful thing to do next is to wash the bowl. And that's it. That's how simple that was. But to understand that and to do that because it's a non-reactive thing, like I am washing the bowl because I understand that it makes sense at this moment in time to now wash the bowl. That is, that's it. That's enlightenment. And there's nothing big and great and vast beyond that. And at the same time, That awareness that the skillful thing to do is to wash the bowl, that's it. That's the magic of awareness. That's how I understand this. And I I want to kind of continue on this discussion, but applying it to the topic that I wanted to share today, which is the uh, answer for the email I received with how do we deal with people that we don't like? Well, awareness is going to play a role in this, and I'll get to that in a second. But first of all, with with the concept of dealing with people that you don't like, again, just like with the koans, what we're trying to learn to do as a practice is to look inward. So rather than thinking, okay, here's so-and-so, I don't like so-and-so, how do I deal with them? Let's look inward for a moment and say, what is this really pointing to? Um, what is it that, that I dislike? Where does the, the disliking come from? And I've been practicing this a little bit with with my kids. For example, my son, Ryko, he is a picky eater and he has a lot of foods that he doesn't like. And anytime he says, Oh, I don't like this or that, you know, I try to remind him and say, wait, is it you that doesn't like it? Or is it your taste buds that don't like the food? And that simple question helps him to understand it's not him that dislikes the food. It's, it's how he is that, prevents him from liking the food and he can't help that. Right. If you, uh, all, all of us have this, I just think of something that you don't like to eat and ask yourself that same question. Is it you that doesn't like it? Or is it your taste buds? You know, I did the, uh, 23 and me genetic test that you can do that gives you not just your ancestry and, and genetic, uh, information, but it gives you like your health traits, your genetic health reports, and something that stood out to me in there was there, there's a variation on one of the uh, genes that you can have that will determine whether you are likely to enjoy bitter tastes uh, or not. And this will de- uh, they use it as a marker to determine if you like Brussels sprouts or not. And it's kind of fascinating to think that it's just a matter of DNA that could determine if somebody likes Brussels sprouts versus someone who doesn't, which goes right back to the heart of what I'm discussing here. Is it really me that likes the Brussels sprouts or is it my genetic makeup that allows me to taste and enjoy that flavor when someone else will taste it and all they get is this bitter flavor that they can't tolerate? So they would think I don't like Brussels sprouts while I'm thinking I do like Brussels sprouts and it's neither one of us. It's it's the genetic marker in our DNA that allows us to experience the world and and Brussels sprouts the way we're experiencing them. And I think that's a really profound understanding that you can take, not just into how you taste food, but into the very question of dealing with people that you don't like. Now this, to me, really alludes to one of the most profound koans that I've, that I've encountered, uh, is a, what I would call a lifetime koan. This is one of those koans that you work with in an ongoing manner, day after day. And these are the powerful words of the koan that goes like this. Lingyi said, there is nothing I dislike. And that's it. That's the koan. There is nothing I dislike. Now, this is a koan that when I first came across and, and heard, I think I've mentioned it in the podcast before, this koan. But I thought, wow, there's nothing I dislike. How on earth do you ever arrive at that? Now, take that same sentiment and apply it to dealing with people that we dislike. Now, The implication here is if there is nothing i dislike that also means there are no people that i dislike and you might pause and be like okay now that's just impossible how on earth would you ever reach that well it's it's quite simple if you apply it to the same line of thinking of me talking to riko and saying well wait a second is it you that doesn't like the food or is it your taste buds now when it when it comes to people you know, it's a little bit harder to take that step back, but we can do it and say, well, wait a second. Is it me that doesn't like so-and-so or is it the the ideas that I hold that clash with the ideas that they hold? And that friction is uncomfortable and that discomfort makes it so that I don't want to be around that person. And there you go. That is a more realistic picture, but that doesn't mean I dislike so-and-so. I don't even know, you know, you can't, I, I barely know myself. How do I know everything there is to know about so-and-so to decide I dislike them. So I think that allows us to take a step back and be like, okay, well, so-and-so might uh, espouse a certain view or certain beliefs or certain ideas that are uncomfortable for me to be around because they clash with the ones that I have. But again, take another step back and be like, I am not my ideas, I am not my beliefs, I am not my views. And and neither is so and so, so there's nothing, there's no fundamental, permanent, uh, independent part of me that dislikes the permanent independent part of so and so because both of the, the both of those are an illusion, right? There's um, so I, I hope you get what I'm trying to say with that, and I'm not trying to minimize the unpleasantness that we may deal with with people that we really don't like to be around. You may not like being around someone because they say really mean things or they take advantage of you or or maybe they're abusive or something. I'm not trying to minimize that in any way. All I'm trying to understand or all I'm trying to emphasize here is the nature of interdependence and the nature of impermanence applied directly to the concept of not liking things. And with this specific koan, there is nothing I dislike. For me, the secret of understanding that entire phrase that is a really powerful phrase is I. He says there's nothing I dislike because there is no I the way that I think that I exist. Right. There's the interdependent and permanent uh, part of me. But that implies that there may be a version of me that does like so and so. You know, maybe if I am in a good mood or if I just uh, got an offer for a new position at work or I just ate a good meal so I'm not hungry or uh, I was raised in conditions where, you know, I don't have to worry about this or that uh, circumstance or factor in my life. Like just change the variables a bit and suddenly I would like this person. That to me is a really profound understanding that helps me to recognize it's not me that dislikes anyone. There's not, there's not, it's not me that dislikes anything. And to me, that's a really profound koan to work with. And like I said, you work with this every day, right? Every day you can analyze the things that you don't like and then say, well, is it really me that doesn't like it? And break that down and get into the causes and conditions and see the interdependent impermanent nature of things and suddenly the way you view that changes. And what that changes is the relationship you have with the feelings that you're experiencing while you're uh, going through whatever circumstances you're in. So that would be uh, kind of a roundabout way, long, long story short answer to the email that I received. This is how do we deal with people that we don't like? Now, sure, on the surface, I could give tips or hints of, You know, uh, well, one obvious thing is try to not be around people that you don't like, but it's not that simple, right? The the people that you don't like might be people in your family. It might be um, your in-laws or your uh, cousins or your crazy aunt or uncle or, you know, it, it can be muddy to the point where you're you can't just avoid these people. You can't ignore them and not have them be a part of your life. It may be your neighbor, right? And you can't just move away. Um, it may not be so simple. So in these complex situations where you're dealing with with people that you dislike, my invitation is always to stop looking at the people and start looking inward at you. What is it I dislike about this person? And what you'll learn about yourself in that process that's what really matters because you can gain a lot of insight and wisdom about you, right? Remember the whole thing we're trying to accomplish here is to step away from the more reactive life where you just go about, you know, from one chain of reactivity to another, breaking that chain of reactivity and living a more skillful life where, where you are more deliberate and skillful with each action. So, The moment I encounter someone I I dislike, that's an invitation to me to go inward and to say, huh, why do I dislike this person? What part of me dislikes the part of them that feel, you know, where, where exactly does that happen? Is it that I dislike their look? Is it that I dislike their words? Is it that I dislike their ideas, their views, their beliefs? there what is it that i dislike right and and i go inward and i try to understand that about me and when i can identify what the thing is then i have to identify what is what exactly what part of me doesn't like that is it my thoughts is it my ideas is it my beliefs and i do the same thing inward that i was doing to pinpoint what i dislike about them what part of me dislikes that part about them and that deconstruction or that um Separation into layers, into causes and conditions. Um, essentially, what I'm doing is trying to look through the lens of impermanence and interdependence, and that changes the dynamic. And then suddenly, I realize, okay, all right. I realize I don't dislike this person. Sure, I don't. My views don't match their views, but that's different. I can still like them in spite of their views and in spite of my views. Where, where on earth did I get my views, right? I got them from the same place they probably got theirs. All these causes and conditions that I almost can't help. I can't help that I read a book and it made me start thinking this way. Or I was raised in a household that made me think that way. And, you know, like I'm the result at this specific moment in time of all these past causes and conditions that make me the way that I am. But so is that person I dislike. So at what point in that chain do I say, oh, that's what I dislike, right? This is like that story of, of the stick that the, it's a koan as well, the The father who's pointing out to his son, you know, what is it that you dislike as he's pointing, uh, poking him with the stick and the, the son gets mad. He's like, are you mad at the stick or are you mad at my hand or are you mad at my arm or are you mad at my uh, my mind for for this idea or mad at my dad who taught me this lesson, right? It's like, at what point do you say, "Oh, that's the thing I'm mad at"? And when we're dealing with people that we dislike, you can do the same thing. Do you really dislike them, or do you dislike their uh, parents who raised them that way, or the society or neighborhood they grew up in that made them think this way, or is it that you dislike their uh, religion that 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 taught them to think what they think? You know, at what point do you say, "That's the thing I dislike"? And you might say, "I dislike all of it," <laughs> but that's Helpful still more than just pinning it on this one person, because who is the person to be disliked, and who is the person that does the disliking? Neither one of those are really there the way that we think they're there, and that is how I tackle this concept of dealing with people that I don't like. I first realize there, you know, I I, I the wise words of Lin Yi, who said, "There is nothing I dislike." And I I take that to heart in my own life. I really do. I try to remind myself that in a very real way, there is nothing I dislike. There isn't. There are a lot of unpleasant things. Um, My, Just as a kind of a dumb example, my my irrational fear of snakes. But I do not dislike snakes. Uh, I don't even dislike my irrational fear of snakes because I know that I I couldn't, I can't help, I, I can't help that I have that. I don't even know where it came from. I kind of have vague understanding of maybe uh, circumstances or memories that may have uh, spurred that on at some point in my life, but I can't help it. And and what I can do is slowly work to be better and better with it. You know, I have, I have held snakes and I have uh, worked with it. But anyway, what I'm trying to get at is, um, Another way to encounter this is to say, what am I not seeing? When, when we talk about the, the concept of awareness, the magic of awareness, so to speak, for me, that's the invitation to say, there's something here that I'm not seeing. And if I dislike someone, that could very well be that there's something in them that I'm just not seeing. And it doesn't require any change on their part. What it requires is more f- attention or more focus on my part to, to say, what am I not seeing? And sometimes that mental exploration will allow me to start changing the feeling or the attitude that I have towards another person, because I start to see something in them that I didn't see before. And that's work that's done on my part. That's not work that needs to be done on their part. And I think sometimes we're caught mixed up there where we're thinking, well, I will like them more when they stop doing this or when they start doing that. And we put it on them to, to change. And the truth is it's on me. If I want to like someone, all I have to do is look harder. Uh, I the more I understand someone, the more natural it is to like that person. And again, this is not forced and I'm not saying all this because you should like everyone. You don't have to like anybody. If you don't want to if if you want to deal with if you're uncomfortable with how you're dealing with people that you dislike, then yes, listen to all of this. If you don't care and you're fine with disliking people, then fine. Keep disliking people. Again, this is like the hamster in the in the wheel that's just running. Like if you're if you're that mouse that's running in the wheel and you're comfortable with that, fine. But when that mouse gets tired and says, "Why am I in here running, spinning on this wheel?" Well, maybe let's look into that. Maybe it's wise now at this point in your life to hop off the wheel. That's what I want to emphasize in this lesson. I'm not saying these things with the idea that, hey, you need to go out there and start working to like the people you dislike. I'm not saying that. You don't have to do that. But if it's bothering you enough that you're saying, I I don't like how I deal with this the people that I dislike, well then, sure, listen to all this and, and maybe spend the time to look inward and see what you can learn about yourself and exactly what part of you is it that dislikes and uh, and what part of them is it that you actually dislike? In the same way that with RICO, like, is it your taste buds that dislike the food? Because that's very different than saying I dislike the food. And I, I think that's a, a skillful way to start with the introspective questioning of how do I deal with something, someone that I don't like? Um, so that's it. That's my invitation. Uh, that's the topic that I have. And rather than sharing uh, a new koan at the end, I think I'd like to leave you with the koan that uh, yi said, there is nothing I dislike. I'd like, I'd like to leave that with you with an exercise between now and the next podcast episode whenever you listen to it. And In fact, beyond that, make this a daily one, one of those daily koans that every now and then you remind yourself, there is nothing I dislike, and analyze how does it feel to even say that. Is, are there things I dislike? Yeah, yeah, there are. Okay, well, what are those things? And what part of you dislikes them? And really work with it through the lens of interdependence and impermanence. And what you should start to see if you really look through those two lenses of impermanence and interdependence, especially in the context of, of what that implies about you, uh, then revisit this question. There is nothing I dislike. And when that rings true to you, it's going to be a really powerful experience to understand that just as Yi said, there is indeed nothing I dislike. And that's what I want to leave with you. That's all I have for the podcast episode today. As always, thank you for listening. If you want to support the work I'm doing with the podcast, consider becoming a patron and joining our online community where we discuss these koans, where we discuss the podcast episodes and I'm getting ready to add a lot more weekly content there. Um, Every day uh, taking these concepts into everyday life and situations. Uh, and you can learn more about that by visiting secularbuddhism.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast episode, please share it with others, write a review, give it a rating in iTunes. And that's all I have for now. But I look forward to recording another podcast episode soon. Thank you for taking the time to listen.